You are listening to An Open Source Bee for a Poisonous Environment. This podcast is produced by the Soft Protest Digest. The hyper-industrialization of our food systems is leading the biodiversity of our ecosystems to collapse. An excellent witness and the key example of this crisis is the case of the bee. To address this issue, it took the train through the suburbs of Paris to the region of Essonne, west of the capital, to meet beekeeper and biologist Julien Perrin. Julien breeds buckfast bees, which can be considered a rustic species, which, in other words, means resistant to all the disasters she has to face. Julien works in collaboration with a large community of beekeepers to multiply these open-source bees. According to him, the bee must remain a common which no industry must take possession of to avoid at all costs falling into the pitfall of privately owned seeds and breeds. The fact that the decline of the bee is answered with such indifference also relies on the fact that humans have very little empathy towards insects. And indeed, there is a real misconception about what social insects are and how they think. Indeed, we often believe that they are intelligent thanks to the fact that they evolve in groups. And yet, these insects have an intelligence of their own. To illustrate it, we have described in the form of an umwelt, ergo at the first person, the activity of a bee. This text, which will punctuate our interview, was written and evaluated word by word by Fanny Ribac, biologist and researcher at the French CNRS Institute, specialized in interspecies communication. It is read by French performer Nolwen Salin. We hope you will enjoy this episode. We harvest 200 queens. We pick out 200 queens in 200 cases every Tuesday. On Wednesday, we set up 200 royal cells across our hives. On Friday, we loosen up the cells. Saturdays, we transplant them. And on Sunday, we inseminate them. And we do that every week throughout harvesting season. Donc du coup, moi je m'appelle Julien Perrin, je suis apiculteur depuis 2009 et mon exploitation c'est Happy Happy. My name is Julien Perrin, I'm a beekeeper since 2009 and my farm is called Happy Happy. I've always been interested in spreading information about bees because it is first a passion and second I think it's important to spread the word on what responsible beekeeping practices can be. You can also find many articles on my website which is happyhappy.fr. Euh, donc moi je suis éleveur en Buckfast depuis euh, 2009 et en fait mon travail ça va être de multiplier So I've been breeding Buckfast bees since 2009 and my job is therefore to multiply bees that are rustic. So what does rustic mean? It means that they do not need chemicals or other things to live on. This work I do so that beekeepers can have the freedom and not depend on chemical industries or other things. Although I started working by using the black bee, I work today with the Buckfast breed. The reason being that there is a community around it. It is an international community, but even stronger in Europe, thanks to which beekeepers can freely exchange bees, which makes it possible to work on projects rather efficiently. Le projet qu'on a actuellement, le projet fort, c'est par exemple de multiplier les abeilles qui sont Our main project at the moment is to multiply bees that are resistant to a parasite called the varroa that sucks the fat out of the bees, which makes them weak and infects them with viruses. What we are trying to do is simply to multiply bees that are able to handle that by nature. 
peut aller un petit peu plus euh, dans le détail justement comme tu as abordé la, la question. So maybe you can go a little bit more into detail. You mentioned the Varroa issue, if I understood. Perhaps we can take this opportunity to list all the challenges that bees are facing today. Which problems are bees affected by? Les autres problèmes qui touchent les abeilles. Alors en fait, les problèmes des abeilles sont... To be honest, bees are facing multiple problems. The first problem that pollinators as a whole and bees in particular are facing is the artificialization of the environment. On n'a plus une sorte de grande diversité des... Today, there is no longer a great diversity of habitats. Therefore, very little diversity of flowers. It leaves us with large plains covered with one single type of flower or plant, or sometimes actually no flowers at all. Et du coup, ben, ça fait qu'à la place d'avoir une diversité de ressources, une, di une diversité... Therefore, instead of having a diversified and constant diet, the bee is left with an unstable source of feed. To give you an image, it's a bit like eating only salad. Salad may be good for you, but if you can only eat that, quickly you face a problem of nutritional balance. So you have to eat a variety of products. And note that this lack of diversity of food is even stronger for pollinators. On dit la diversité des ressources. Euh, un, un autre problème euh, qu'on a... Que Another problem we have is the competition with the chemical industry. Articles have shown, for example, that the mobility of the sperm of male bees decreases under the influence of certain chemicals, which, as a result, directly affects the ability of bees to reproduce. These products can also have an impact on their ability to locate themselves in the environment. Knowing that a small bee can pollinate as far as 10 kilometers away from her hive, she also needs to be able to remember her environment to be able to come back. If her memory is disturbed, she can simply get lost, which is something that can have a devastating impact on the colonies. On a aussi la mondialisation qui a ramené en fait Globalization has also fostered a multitude of new problems. In beekeeping today, for example, thinking that local bees make the most sense for the environment is wrong. Globalization subjects local bees to problems they do not know how to handle. The most notorious example is the varroa, which is kind of a mite, a crab that sucks the blood of bees. To give you an image, it's a bit like in the movie Alien, the little thing that sucks the blood out out of people, it's, it's not that nice. There are also other parasites, smaller ones this time, like bacteria or fungi, that will disrupt the development of the new bees. The American fall broads, for example, among others, completely ravage colonies of bees. Bigger, we have the Asian hornets who stand in front of the hives to stress out the bees inside. These hornets will not actually eat the bees, but scare them to death. The bees will be so frightened that they won't leave the hive to search for food anymore and will therefore die of hunger. In the end, we face a global problem, climate change. You may not necessarily realize its impact if you live in a city, but in the countryside, we can tell. Species of trees which were adapted to our climate suffer from the impact of droughts and heat waves. I think the French National Forest Association worked on a model to foresee the evolution of beech trees in France, and the result was disastrous. I think it was 2050, the beech tree, which is quite widespread in France, would almost have disappeared. Et donc du coup, bah, tous ces bouleversements... Euh, bah, so in the end, the bee has a hard time coping with these changes. Est-ce qu'on a réussi à savoir exactement d'où il venait? Do we know where the varroa comes from exactly? Oui, mais en gros, c'est un parasite qui était sur 
Yes, it is a parasite that used to live among another species of bees called Apis serana. This bee has been living together with the Varroa for a long time, which allowed her to develop defense mechanisms. It is, by the way, a bee that produces very little honey, if any, because it uses a lot of energy to defend itself. The fact is that in order to produce more honey, productive honey species such as Apis mellifera, for example, were exported to Asian countries. There, the Varroa infected these clean bees, which remigrated to Europe through Russia and Eastern European countries and landing back in France around 1986, I presume. So, the Varroa has been in France for about 30 years now. If you consider evolution, it is quite a recent invasion, which explains why local bees have such difficulties to deal with it. My job will be, therefore, to identify the bees that are naturally resistant to the parasite and to multiply them in order to not have to rely on chemicals which would artificially answer to the problem. You mentioned this thing of migration from Asia. Could you perhaps speak a little more specifically of uh, this issue of migration that uh, we call transhumance uh, in French? and uh, explain how are bees exploited to exclusively pollinate crops, uh, generally in the U.S. Indeed, it is something that is and may even unfortunately become the future of beekeeping. Today, we realize that biodiversity is drastically collapsing. To give you an idea, 2% of the population of pollinators die each year. 2%, that's the equivalent to the number of victims of the Spanish flu. On a human level, this crisis was a disaster. This is happening every year, year after year, to pollinators. So, if we consider the biomass of pollinators, we lost about 76% of it. You can see it every summer when you go on holiday, for example. A few years ago, your car would be covered with crushed mosquitoes and other pollinators. Today, your car would be as clean as it was when you left. The reason being that there are no pollinators anymore. They are nearly all dead. And if we consider the diversity of species, we almost lost half of it. Donc du coup, ça c'est juste le marqueur qu'on a un milieu qui est extrêmement problématique. Du coup, vu que ces pollinisateurs, this is the marker of how problematic our environment actually is. And since pollinators no longer exist, there is now a problem of pollination. And it is a fundamental issue because a third of our food depends on pollinated plants. So this is a major problematic that we have to address, especially since pollinators have an impact that is also ecosystemic. In other words, they contribute to the planet's ecology by being responsible for the life of other species of plants, birds, even fish. Transhumance means that, as we are facing a lack of resources, beekeepers must now run after them so that their bees do not simply die of hunger. They have to constantly move their hives in search for food. Meanwhile, farmers must now call on beekeepers to help them pollinate their own crops. This is a phenomenon which is still rather rare in France, but it is huge. For example, in the United States, a beekeeper who will help pollinate almond trees in California would uh, come to travel around the whole country, which would allow other crops like cranberries, for instance, to also be pollinated. <laughs> 
Donc euh, maintenant qu'on a abordé, euh, disons, ton activité et euh, finalement les problèmes... Euh, Now that we've discussed your work, as well as uh, all the problems that you're trying to solve through uh, this, uh, this Buckfast Bee uh, operation, you're dealing with uh, a big community uh, of researchers. I would like to talk about the overall life cycle of the bee. The idea would be to foster a sort of empathy towards the bee. And uh, in the end, we think that this empathy is also a way to make people take a stand, a clear stand. We can perhaps start there. An egg is placed inside one of the cells of the honeycomb. This is the egg of a working bee. And then what happens next? Mais en fait, il y a un œuf qui tombe au fond d'une alvéole et cet œuf, il n'est pas encore déterminé. So, an egg is placed inside of one of the cells of the honeycomb and it's an egg that is not yet a worker or a queen. It will grow for three days, hatch and then be fed with royal jelly. Ces larves vont se développer encore pour euh, former une sorte de cocoon. It will first be a larva which will form a kind of cocoon like butterflies do. Inside the cocoon will be a nymph who will grow and turn into an adult bee. This adult bee will become either a worker, the classic bees we all know, or a queen, depending on the amount of royal jelly she will have been fed with. In their early stages, each bee will be fed royal jelly. Then after three days, a switch will take place and a large majority of the larvae will be fed with a mixture of pollen and honey, while the queens will be fed exclusively with royal jelly. Ça, c'est fou de montrer qu'une substance qui est dans l'alimentation va complètement... In the end, it's absolutely incredible to witness that a certain type of feed can completely condition the genes and alter the development of a bee. It's as if we would eat gingerbread and become all of a sudden really strong. I must not have eaten enough. Alors moi, il y a une chose que je voulais savoir, c'est... En fait, parmi toutes les, les substances, of all the substances that bees produce as feed, we can find, if I understand it correctly, royal jelly, honey, and pollen. We know that honey comes from flowers and pollen as well. But where does royal jelly come from? Alors en fait, la royale, c'est les abeilles vont se nourrir justement de pollen et de miel. Actually, bees eat exclusively pollen and honey. However, they will produce a substance with their glands, which is in fact royal jelly. Voilà, nous dans notre corps, on sécrète plein de substances, des sucres pancréatiques. Our own body produces many substances, pancreatic juices for digestion, saliva to digest starch, etc. Just as well, bees produce a substance which serves as a source of enriched feed, which helps queens to grow properly. These bees that produce royal jelly are called nurses. Can you tell me about the various roles that worker bees can have during their lives? En fait, il existe plusieurs échelles de spécialisation dans la ruche. En fait, on va avoir une spécialisation. There is actually various arrays of specialization inside the hive. There is a sort of caste system which relies on the sex and types of bees. We have the classic worker bee, she works on producing food. There is also the queen, whose function is only to lay eggs. She does not have any power other than that, actually. She does not decide anything. We can also find males, whose function is to allow reproduction. Their only task will be to fertilize the queens at a given time. Mais aussi, il y a une spécialisation temporelle, euh, tout particulièrement... Time also plays a role, especially among worker bees. When young, just out of their cocoon, they will become nurses. Then they will go through several stages, which, once older, will lead them to become foragers or even explorers. 
The most specialized forager bees will be the ones who will locate new sources of food. Pourquoi j'ai présenté brièvement en fait le passage de toutes les castes, c'est parce que surtout ce qui est intéressant à voir là. The reason I briefly introduced all of these roles is because it's interesting to see how evolution has naturally led all the bees to be the ones taking risks outdoors and vice versa, taking care of the inside of the hive and the close surroundings of the colony is a job for younger bees. It's a beautiful thing. I was born in the dark, in the dark of a hive smelling of honey and information. I was born in the dark of a beehive filled by the pleasant, uninterrupted buzz of the network vibrating like a cable under my feet, telling me who and where and when. I do not see, I feel the weight of the offspring of our work fall gently on the waxed floor of the rooms. A brushing touch on my antennas. Some support is needed. Today, I decide and I work for the royal escort. I answer to my order and I watch over my new little sisters. I assist their mother. I inspect each cell, check that the new egg is well secured and discard it if necessary. From the tip of my tongue, I flood the room and wait for my royal jelly to help them grow. Then it will be honey and pollen. I close each door. At what age will the bee leave the hive? You know, like to go explore its environment and look for new sources of feed? There is 21 days between the laying of the egg and the birth of a working bee, and another 21 days between their birth and them leaving the nursery. These numbers are relative, of course, the hive has a certain plasticity. If we were, for example, to remove all the foragers from the hive, for instance, young bees may become foragers straight away and vice versa. If we were to remove all the young bees, old bees could become nurses again. But in general, they stay 21 days in the nursery, 21 days inside the hive, and around 21 days outside foraging in the wild. And in fact, the end of their life, Their lifespan can vary. It can depend on the weather, the environment, the season. Bees that are born in the harvesting season, therefore in June, July, will have a relatively short life because they will work a lot. On the other hand, the bees that will be born at the end of the summer and during the autumn will most likely survive the winter. Ce qui est joli, c'est qu'en fait, la température auquel elles vont être élevées quand elles sont petites. A beautiful thing is that small bees can be raised at a certain temperature inside the hive. Depending on the temperature, their genes will be altered and their metabolism will be impacted. Bees born in the winter will be born with more fat, for example. In the end, the environment really plays a specific part in the development of the bee and its resistance to it. These are mechanisms of anticipation that have been selected naturally over time. Je pense qu'on peut quand même un peu euh, aller dans les détails des, euh, des autres spécialisations qu'il y a. En... So we can maybe go further into details and talk about some of the other roles that the bee can have. For instance, I find it incredible to consider that bees produce wax with their abdomen, which they use to build their own habitat with. Leur habitat finalement. 
Ben oui, effectivement. Alors, il y a, il y a plusieurs, euh, plusieurs tâches qui existent chez les ouvrières. Donc, on a les nourrices. Indeed, worker bees can carry out several other tasks. Nurse bees will take care of the nursery and the baby bees. Some others' job will be to clean the hive. And you're right, we can also find builder bees that use a very interesting mechanism. On a les abeilles qui se nourrissent quand même en grande partie, mais pas que, hein, de sucre. Donc c'est comme Bees si... feed largely on sugar. It is as if we mainly drink soda. For humans, to consume too much sugar causes a serious problem which is called obesity. For bees, however, evolution has made it possible to stay clear of this problem by turning the excess fat into a product we call wax. Et du coup, à partir de cette graisse... Euh, elles vont, elles vont l'utiliser en fait euh, pour. It is from this fat that bees build the combs of the hive, as well as collectively vote for the potential replacement of the queen. Because actually, bees have the ability to choose to replace the queen if needed. If the current queen is less efficient than it used to be, each worker will then stack its own piece of wax to form a cell with a specific shape. When the old queen will lay an egg in it, the nurses will only feed the larvae with royal jelly, which will turn her into a new queen. Donc euh, la cire, c'est vraiment euh, quelque chose qui est passionnant. On pourra en parler encore très longtemps. Ça a des propriétés. Wax is a fascinating material. It can carry vibrations along the hive, which allow bees to communicate with each other. D'ailleurs, c'est un problème grave dans la filière. This is, by the way, a serious problem nowadays because wax can sometimes be synthesized with other products that can interfere with the communication system of the hive. This can have a detrimental impact on the growth of the larva, on the strength of the honeycomb, etc. So, in the end, it is a very big problem that we have today. Pendant qu'on parle de la cire, on peut aussi peut-être parler euh, de la façon... So while we are on the subject of wax, we could also talk about how the hive is used by the bees as some sort of map, um, like by performing various sorts of dances on the hive, it allows them to give very precise information on where to find the exact location of a source of food. Thanks to that, they can concentrate all the efforts of the nest on one particular spot. Is that right? Fort de la ruche sur un endroit en particulier. Oui, la cire est travaillée de manière spécifique pour donner la forme des rayons. Yes, the wax is specifically formed to give shape to the honeycombs. It's, it's actually a beautiful thing. Bees will glue together small pieces of wax around them to form circles. These circles, pushed against one another, will give shapes to hexagons. It's a bit like bubbles of soap in a bathtub. It's a stable architecture that is formed through a thermodynamic process. Bees do not per se give shape to the rays of the honeycomb. They, they rely on the properties of the wax, which has a particular melting point, which allows it to form these complex structures. Wax relies on a subtle balance of parameters. It must be plastic, but not too much, as it may collapse. That is why supporting natural wax is fundamental. Ensuite, sur le dessus des alvéoles d'abeilles, une sorte de petit bourrelet de cire un peu plus épaisse, une sorte de maillage comme ça. Et ce maillage, on va the top of the honeycomb is a sort of relatively thick tube of wax. It allows vibrations to pass. Knowing that there is very little light in the hive, the tube will serve as a communication cable. The bees will, as you said, indicate a location by performing a dance which they will spread in the hive. Comment ça marche danse en fait, euh, les abeilles... These dances are designed in accordance with several factors. So when the bees come out of the hive, they can locate the position of the sun. When they come back to the hive, they communicate the position of the source of food in relation to the position of the sun. Knowing that there is no sun in the hive, they will consider that the sun is the top of the frame. Donc elles vont faire des sortes de huit 
où en fait, le will fly in the shape of an eight. And the center axis of the eight will indicate the direction in relation to the sun, and the number of buzzing she will perform on the axis will indicate the distance. On comprend bien une abeille qui allait très loin, elle a beaucoup volé. Why buzzing? Simply because we can understand that a bee who went very far has flown for a long time and moved a lot. Therefore, she expresses this effort in her dance. You have to move a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. The bee will also have to inform the others on the quality of the feed. She will keep a small drop of nectar in her mouth that she will make the other bees taste so that they can evaluate if the nectar is good or not. These are in the end systems of control which allow them to protect themselves from toxic substances. Some of them are gathered further down the hole of wax. One of them is dancing. She moves as if following the outline of two circles pressed together. The centers of these two loops allow her to draw an invisible straight line, oriented 13 degrees left of the sun, the direction. While moving, she vibrates in a rhythm. Six buzzes, the distance. A new source of nectar located at 13 degrees six buzzes, It would have been professional of me to cross-check the various dances of my explorer sisters to make sure of the flight plan. But I decide, and I decide to go. My path crosses the one of those who refine the honey. Their tongues are busy, busy swallowing and spewing back the nectar they pour down the honeycombs, liquid. It must be preserved, and it must be ventilated and their wings vibrate, making the air flow which will dry the honey. A dry honey for six months of dry cold. Est-ce que tu peux nous, nous expliquer qu'est-ce que c'est finalement Can you tell us what pollen and honey actually are Le miel, ça vient du nectar qui est produit en fait par les végétaux que les Honey actually comes from a nectar produced by plants. This nectar is a sweet juice which is relatively rich in water. Bees will bring the nectar inside the hive, enrich it with enzymes, then dry it by ventilating it, which will reduce its amount of water. This process will produce a syrup, which is still lightly alive, honey. Le miel, il peut aussi venir pas directement de fleurs. Honey can also come from other sources than flowers, from honeydew. Honeydew are small drops of a sweet juice that aphids, or small-scale insects, produce by sucking the sap of trees or plants, which bees will later harvest to produce honey from. Donc ça, c'est pour le miel. Et pourquoi je dis que le miel, c'est un produit vivant The reason I say that honey is a product that's alive is that it contains a variety of enzymes that require special conditions to be active. On a un produit qui est encore plus vivant, le pollen. Le pollen, ça va être l'équivalent... There's also another product that is even more alive, pollen. Pollen is the equivalent of the sperm of flowers. Bees will add honey to it to form small little balls, and what is interesting is that they will later add a variety of microorganisms to it, mainly bacteria and yeast, which will actually ferment the pollen, kind of like a sauerkraut. Ça va permettre à ce pollen d'être plus digeste en fait, parce que c'est quelque chose qui est. That will allow the pollen to be digested better and to be richer in nutrients. For bees, pollen is the equivalent of proteins, like a, a steak for us. But it is also a whole microflora. When you drink apple cider vinegar and you see what is called this mother, this yogurt-looking thing floating at the surface, it is actually a source of microorganisms, which is essential for our body to function well. 
Likewise, pollen is going to be the way for bees to enrich their microflora. Thirteen degrees, six buzzes. I take off and the journey turns into black and white. I must stay focused, meaning no more than the minimum information. We are not alone. The others are there, bumbling. These pollinators are not me, nor are they my sisters, but they rely also on the blood of flowers. Some only open to me, when some of them open only to them. I am soon covered with floating yellow pollen, and I comb myself, gathering it to form little balls. I stock up and choose the flower. The UV patterns of its petals point me in the direction of its center. I suck in the nectar to the next flower. I fly back, loaded and from memory, towards our hive. I stick out my tongue, so does my sister, and the honey I deliver. The honey will be dried and stored in a tank of wax. The pollen, mixed with the yeast, fermented to become a bread. Our proteins, our vitamins. Donc euh, maintenant qu'on a vraiment quand même bien développé, euh, bon, pas dans tous les détails, mais quand même euh, une bonne partie du cycle de vie de l'ouvrière. So now that we've focused on the life cycle of a working bee, I'd like to go back on the role of the queen. Could you tell me about the role of the queen, starting from this vote you mentioned? What does she become after she comes out of the cocoon? Donc, euh, une reine, comme on l'a vu tout à l'heure, c'est un œuf féminin. As we saw earlier, a queen is a female egg that could either turn into a worker or a queen, but which is fed exclusively with royal jelly for one simple reason, the shape of itself. Instead of growing in 21 days, she will develop in 16 days and will be born a virgin. Du coup, au bout en gros d'une semaine, elle va sortir de After la week, she will come out of the hive to first understand where the hive is in relation to its environment and second to be fertilized. She will be fertilized in distinctive areas where she will meet with the males. For this particular purpose, she will be followed by a sort of escort who will accompany her through the fertilization phase. Quand elles vont sortir, elles vont se faire féconder par les mâles et comment ça marche En fait, c'est pas une fécondation, c'est simplement une copulation. When we talk about fertilization, it's not quite right actually. It is in fact a copulation. As we saw earlier, fertilization is done at the level of the egg. So what will happen is that the males will copulate with the queens and their penises, which are almost as big as their body, will stay stuck. They will therefore withdraw themselves, tear away their penises and die. The queens will then tear each penis out in order to be able to be fertilized multiple times, on average 12 times, but it may vary. Et, euh, et du coup, il y a une vraie compétition entre les mâles là-dessus, on voit qui. There is also a real competition at play between the males. By leaving their penises in the females, they actually block the access to the queen's reproductive system to other males. They will also block the migration of the sperm of the contestants into the queen's body by mixing their sperm with mucus. When returning to the hive, the sperm collected by the queen will migrate to a small internal pocket called the sperm attack. That's why using the term fertilization is wrong. Fertilization happens when the sperm comes into contact with the egg. That's not what's happening here. The queen collects and stores sperm that she will distribute drop by drop throughout her life. 
cette migration, cette maturation du sperme vers sa spermatech, ça The migration of the sperm to the spermatech will take from 3 days to a week, depending on the weather. The queen will then start laying up to 3000 eggs a day throughout her life. Donc en fait, la reine, c'est juste une machine à, à pondre des queen is in the end only a machine to lay eggs and she will showcase the quality of her work by spreading a very pleasant smell around the hive. This smell becomes a sort of signal of presence. But as time goes by, the sperm will lose in quality and run out. The queen will try, with less and less success, to inseminate the eggs, which is something that will become harder for her, leading her actually to lose her smell. It is in these conditions that the workers will decide to replace her with a younger one. How long does the queen live for in general? That's something we've really seen evolve in the last years, actually. In the past, queens could live up to five years. That's what my grandfather used to tell me. Today, they live from two to three years tops. Why? For the simple fact that they are facing an environment that is getting more and more tricky to deal with. There is a very noticeable drop in sperm quality, and it is the case for humans too. This sperm, which queens keep in their spermatech, is weak, which leads the colonies to replace their queens more often. The queen has no more smell. To be honest, the queen has quite an unpleasant smell. Her rhythm has slowed down. Fewer lava and a risk to not live to see the end of the winter. A vote and the queen is dead. A vote and the queen is born. I choose and I produce my ballot of wax. Each vote is counted, piled up, and the wax forms the walls of a larger cell. If it's a no, the construction will not be finished. If it's a yes, the construction will be royal. I decide and we build. The royal cell becomes the new room of a new one, who will receive neither honey nor pollen, but only the jelly which will turn her into a queen. To start her term, a short ceremony. To sting the previous queen to death. The neighboring males are preparing themselves to fulfill their only task. The future queen will step out of the hive and fly faster than them. They will have to follow and we have to catch her and we have to be strong and to prove it well because the young mother will not risk to lay the children of a poor quality male. She comes out, they copulate, she flies back They die, she lays, until the next queen. Pour finir, finalement, voilà, l'abeille c'est le pollinisateur que. So finally, the bee seems like in the end to be a domesticated pollinator, or maybe the most domesticated insect we have. And you were telling me about an actual domestication because you even manage to reproduce. Your, uh, your bees the way you want to perfect uh, the bug fast uh, bees what I'm thinking about is does a bee and beekeeping in general have a positive or rather a negative impact on other pollinators in fact there are several schemas effectivement 
Les abeilles parfois peuvent être en compétition avec There are several different ways to look at it. Indeed, bees can sometimes be in competition with other pollinators. But in any case, everything that beekeepers do to preserve the environment and their bees of course will have a positive impact on all the other pollinators. Puis après pour la biodiversité, il y a il y a quelque chose qui est aussi important à l'échelle de l'abeille. From a biodiversity perspective, there is something that is major at play. Even if we are only talking about the bee If tomorrow we are left with a bee produced by large biotechnological companies, which is then sold to beekeepers around the world, as it is the case with wheat or corn, for instance, we will then be left with a disastrous biodiversity. And that's what we are working against. We want a diversity of breeders to select a bee that meets the needs of a particular environment and to multiply it for the community. It requires a lot of energy, but it allows to have a variety of points of view which can guarantee a true genetic diversity in the end. We must prevent big biotechnological corporations to control the bee. Thank you for listening to An Open Source Bee for a Poisonous Environment. You can find this episode as well as other podcasts on the podcast app or on SoundCloud with the keyword The Soft Protest Digest. You can also visit our Wikipedia, thesoftprotestdigest.org for more information.